Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. We are, I don't know, two-thirds of the way through a Rashi where he's giving a series of, it's not really proof texts, but more places in the Torah where the root ayin reish lamed is used. And he wants us to uh, kind of go with him on the idea that whenever that shoresh is present, it means one and one thing only. And he's going to try to read that as consistently as possible. And it means to be covered up, to be blocked, to be uh, obstructed. Um, so just to get back into it, the verse that we're talking about is um, uh, verse 12. And if you remember, depending on which version of Rashi you have, um, there are two comments of Rashi on this verse, but they're sometimes listed in opposite order in your edition of Rashi. So we read first the Rashi comment, which is actually comes second in my volume right here, which is the idea that the how could Pharaoh possibly listen to me when the Israelites did not listen to me? And Rashi says this is one of, is it 10? Yeah, 10 Kalvachomer, uh, a fortiori, um, a fortiori uh, arguments within the uh, Torah itself, and we looked at that a little bit. Um, I actually want to go back to that for one second in a bit. Uh, and now we're on the um, the comment of Aral Sfatayim, which we you know sometimes uh, describe as uh, uncircumcised lips. Was it Ever Fox, I think, who created the adjective foreskinned lips? which is an odd image, but it's actually, um, it's kind of, um, it's, it's, it's very uh, true to what the image is supposed to connote, right? Something that is blocked with a layer that it gets in the way. Let's just call it for what it is. Um, and, we, and Rashi kind of took us on a journey of several different places in Torah where that root is used and helping us see that that's what it means there. I did want to go back to the Kalba Homer thing for one thing, I think. Let me just check. Uh, now we can go forward. It's, it it was, wasn't that significant. Okay. So um, I don't remember who was reading, but it doesn't remember who was reading because we'll, I'll pick a new person. But let's just read the verse as, as is our won't, just to get going. It's chapter 6, verse 12. Moses spoke in the presence of God or in front of God, lay more, saying the following. So now we have quotation marks. Hain b'nei Yisrael lo shamu elai. Um, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm behind a verse, right? No, no, I'm right. okay. Um, the Israelites did, um, did not uh, heed me. Lo, uh, How would it be then that Pharaoh would heed me, would listen to me? After all, I am a person whose lips have extra layers, okay? Um, and we looked at the Uncleus who translates it as Yakir Mamlal, heavy of lips, like clumsy. Okay, so we got through the Rashi and the reference to um, Arela Oznayim in Jeremiah of, uh, of ears that are covered over with layers that prevent true hearing and understanding. And we got uh, Arle Lev, a heart that is also too obscured or too covered over to understand. And the Hebrew root he keeps using is Atum, which means to be sealed, right? Which is... Um, uh, evocative, though not etymologically connected to satum, to be closed up, okay? And then we got to, the last one we did was orlat basar, the orla that we are most familiar with, or the circumcision that we're most familiar with, and that is um, that the member is atum, it is uh, covered over, umichuseva, and covered with this extra. We got, that's where we got to. We're now at the verses in Leviticus that he's going to bring. Uh, Alan, do you want to read? Aral-tem or Lato, and I'll bring up these verses onto the screen as we come to them. It's on the comment aral Svatayim on verse 12, about two-thirds of the way through the Rashi. Aral-tem or Lato. No? So start reading that, and then we're just going to look at the, at the screen for a second, but why don't you start reading it? Microphone, please. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Mike, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joel, do you want to do 
Achilato. Okay, let's first look at the verse, right? So if you look at the screen, either on the Zoom or in the room, this is from the 19th chapter of Vayikra. Uh, and we got some laws about what's going to happen when the Israelites get to the land of Israel. We, did, we made a reference to this last week. Verse 23, You come to the land. And you plant, any tree, ma'achal. It doesn't mean that the tree is edible. It means tree-producing fruits. tem or lato at priyo. This is a great example. We've seen this many times where the Hebrew, the verb and the noun are the same thing. You shall oralize its oral, right? So whatever it means, it's, it's built into the construction of the phrase. How is it translated here in the English, the JPS? You shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Meh. Right, it, it, JPS is helping us understand what the what the intention of the verse is, but it's not really helping us understand the the, the words of the verse. But you should it, it has an orla because it's orlato, it's orla, and you should you shall orla it, its fruit. Right, it's a hard phrase to make sense. We'll look at Jehovah Fox in a second, but we know what the law means. Shalosh shanim yelachem. For three years, it should be to you, arelim. Those trees should you should consider to them as being arelim. Lo yeachel. It should not, shall not be eaten. On that verse, Everett Fox translates it the following way. Uh, sorry. On that verse, it says, Now, when you enter the land and plant any kind of tree for eating, you, I love Everett Fox, you are to regard its fruit... That's the Pirio. He puts in the word like a foreskin. A foreskin. He repeats it because it's orlatem orlato. You shall regard its fruit a foreskin. For three years it is to be considered foreskinned for you. You are not to eat it. Now, what, like, someone before we read the Rashi's treatment of it, how do you make sense of that word, orla, foreskin, vis a vis how we're supposed to be considering the fruit of the fruit trees? in Israel for the first three years. Like, aside from sounding funny, what do you think that means? How is, it for, how, how is that tree foreskinned? A force field in what way? Like there's a foreskin around it, so we touch. Ah, good, right? So think of like the Star, the star Wars, you, know, you put the shield up and nothing can penetrate it. So normally we think of a foreskin that must be cut away so that the stuff on the inside can be reached positively here it's a defensive foreskin right consider the fruit of a fruit tree in its first three years of life in israel to be impenetrable by you you're supposed to leave it alone right that's one second barry and one second barbara that's kind of exactly what rashi says so now um alan again read rashi's words he's giving you his commentary on those words Starting with the words asulo otem. Uh, right where you were reading before. Above that. Asu asulo otem. Vikisui. So pause there. Make for it a what and a what? Some sort of covering. Right, like a like a blockage or a covering. Right? And otem is that blockage word we've been using. And kisui, literally just a covering, like a a top to a, a lid is called a kisui, right? And but he doesn't mean physically. It doesn't mean that you were like supposed to put over it what like my grandfather used to put over his like uh, peach trees so that the birds wouldn't get to it. It doesn't mean like a physical covering. Rather, in what way are you going to cover it as an isur? Isur sheyavdil bifne achilato So it no, just read those four words. Translate those four words. Isur that it would be uh, a prohibition. Uh, to well, from prohibition to eat it, but in this case, you have deal that divides it. It's a blockage and a, a prohibition that divides it from uh, from being something close to that. It's a little bit uh, hard yeah. Hebrew, or it's actually easy words but hard to figure out the syntax. Yeah. What is the covering? This conceptual covering foreskin of the trees. It is a esor, a force field prohibition that makes that distinguishes it sheyavdil right bifnei mm achilato -hmm. with respect to its eating uh. so it is it might look like the tree next to it the tree next to it is five years old it has no foreskin anymore you can eat it but this tree 
looks like every other tree, you conceptually foreskinize it. I'm thinking that someone walking into this room here in this conversation is like, what the hell is Rabbi Klickfeld teaching? <laughs> Jesus, Pete. <laughs> For those of you who are on Zoom, we have one of our, our pressmen leaders walking through the room to gather something, and all she can hear is trees being foreskinned, and we're wondering what she's thinking. Okay? It's a conceptual barrier that prevents you halachically, not physically, from eating it. Ergo, a tomb. Ergo, foreskin. Ergo, arel. Um, I, I saw hands. Sue, don't forget what you're going to say. I see Barry, I see Barbara, and then Sue. Uh, Zohar makes a big thing about the, uh, the foreskin. Uh, that's, it's not kosher. Uh, it's not, not unkosher sex. So it's the same way here that the fruit is, is not kosher. Right. Or, or the fruit is kosher, it, it, but it's currently un, it's, unavailable. It's in, a, in, in a state of being not kosher. Correct. Correct. Good. Barbara? Um, a long time ago, I was told that this part of the port of the Torah was preventing the. We weren't supposed to eat any fruit that came from the tree, because it was helping by not eating the fruit, by not utilizing the fruit, you cutting it off at an early stage. You were allowing the tree to grow better and produce more in the future. It was for growth which of course we don't worry about in the foreskin for, for the breed. But actually the most important part of what I wanted to ask was this says you're not supposed to do it in Israel. Now, does that, would that mean that you shouldn't eat fruit off of a tree in America or no. France or England? No. It's just Orla, Israel, right? Orla is one of those agriculturally based mitzvot that even according to the most stringent interpretation of halakha, only obtains in the land of Israel, right? There is no obligation for a Jewish farmer in Nebraska to leave the corner of his fields uh, for the poor. Now, a Jewish farmer in Nebraska is obligated to give tzedakah, but is not obligated agriculturally for peya, for those corners, or shechah, the stuff left behind. Those only obtain in Israel. A Jewish farmer in Nebraska is not obligated to let his field lie fallow in the seventh year, even if he could, or she could, if she think it'd be better for the field, but there's no religious obligation. It only applies in Israel. Same thing with Orla. If I plant a fruit tree in my yard in Los Angeles, I might have a, have a botanist tell me it's better for the tree to let it grow a bit before you prune it, but I have no religious obligation to hold back from it. It's only in the land of Israel. Which is why, Barbara, there are several reasons, and I think we discussed this a few weeks ago, why it's, it's always a a curious but tricky game to do what we call tameh mitzvot, trying to figure out the rationale behind the mitzvot. Because on the one hand, we want to know, like, why are we being asked to do this or not do this, right? The problem with, with, with coming up with rationales for mitzvot is that if we think the rationale doesn't make sense, or doesn't make sense in this situation, we have an easy opening to convince ourselves why not to do it, right? So some might, like the Rambam, Maimonides would say back to you, you might think, you, you might be a botanist and, a, and an agricultural expert, you might think it's better for the tree to not prune it and to not take his food after three or four years. And I, my mind, said back to you, I don't care. This is God telling me to do this. The rationale is that I'm an observant Jew, not that I'm gonna have a better field. Might it turn out to be that the field is better? Maybe, but that's not why I'm doing it, right? Because, and then again, and if it was why I was doing it, then maybe I should be doing it even in Nebraska. Now, sometimes we do wanna know the, undermine, the underlying re rationale for why we're doing something. And sometimes you want to lean into a chok, it's a rule. God said so. Um, Sue, can we give Sue the microphone or a microphone? Well, I'm just, I'm just struggling with how, why we're, he I mean, aside from, I'm, I'm, if we don't ever ask why, why do these rules apply? It's, I think in our 20th, 21st century minds, it's a little bit hard for it to be so random um, and, and, and without explanation in, in the way we, I don't know. But um, aside from that, why, why are we here talking about the Orla trees? It's, it, it, this is all to figure out Orla? Yes, this is, this is Rashi's fourth or fifth like, example, example of what, what Orla means. Right. It's an odd word. It's an odd word, whether in Hebrew or in English. And it's a word that has, God, what have I say this well in English, where and how it's used are in very, very different contexts, right? So what can be true about a lip? If I asked you, if I asked someone who's not a Torah student, what can be true about a lip, a heart, a penis, and a fruit? 
like it's not it's not easy to come up with an example, right? So Rashi's saying this is what this idiom means in Hebrew in all situations. It doesn't mean something here and something there, and that's why Everett Fox always translates Arel as foreskinned because he's either influenced by Rashi or just agrees with Rashi that it's always the same imagery, even though that wouldn't be our first instinct to think of the tree as having a foreskin. Rashi says, yes, it's just a conceptual one. Barry and then Rosemary? You know, doing a parallel application now to Moshe, if, if the ara fruit is obstructed, it's not kosher, it can't, it can't, you can't touch it. Uh, Moshe's sense of his words is he, he's not free to make his words. His, his words are not to be freed yet. Very good, right? So his, his statement to God is not just that I, I, I don't think I'm good at this, but I'm, I, whatever is inside me that needs to come out is inaccessible because something is blocking it. Good. Rosemary? Well, sometimes maybe we use the words to this word is disgusting people, so they won't really touch. <laughs> Meaning that, that that will be the impact of Moshe's words upon Pharaoh. He won't, won't, won't go near it. Won't go near it. Interesting. Okay. So that's, so, so let's pick up on the Rashi. So we got to the Isuri Sheavdil Bifnei Achilato, and then he continues. Yep. Shaloshanim Yelachem Arelim. Which is just a continuation of the verse. If you look at the screen or if you look at the screen in front, that this verse mentions the root aral three times. In the two word phrase, the aral tem or lato, you should oralize its orla. And then it says, as, as almost like a, as an adjective, what shall they be to you? They shall be arilim. So now Rashi renders it adjectivally arilim, meaning? Atum umechuse u. Muvdal malacho. Mi lecho. Mi 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 lecho. Mi lecho. Correct. That it is. It is a tomb. It is closed and covered and separated from uh, from its eating. From from eating from, it. from from one's eating it is probably from the best way to render it. Right? it yeah. Rashi's adding nothing new here. He's just telling you it means the same thing when it's used as a verb, and when it's used as a noun, and when it's used as an adjective. So since the verse he brings us in the Vayikra has all three, he just decides to give the, the modern, modern, you know, contemporary, uh, contemporary Hebrew versions of that. It's not only um, an, an otem, a noun, a covering, it can also mean atum, covered. Hmm. Questions, comments? Okay. Um, let's go on to the next verse. I'll stop the share here. Uh, and uh, Alan, you're just getting started, so why don't you pick up? We're on verse 13. Now, not that you wouldn't anyway, but try to translate these words whose vocabulary is pretty rudimentary, understandable, as precisely as you possibly can. And God said to Moses and to Aaron. I would say, I would choose spoke rather than said. Okay. Because okay, the Deber is describing the action, not the content. Okay. And again, remind me that the Deber is speaking, one was positive and one was negative. Well, well we, can, we can come back to that. I mean, uh, yeah. listen, there, there's no hard and fast rule, but in general, the Daber is translated as speak, Lemor is, is translated as say, such that after a Lemor and Omer, you have an implied quotation marks, whereas a Daber, not yet. And yes, midrashically, the Daber is Kashut or Kashot, harsh words uh, coming from the aspect of Elohim, and Omer is Rachamim coming from the aspect of Yudhe Vavhe, but not always the case. Okay. Right? So. God Sometimes a bear is just a bear. Okay, or a cigar is just as no. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of no, keep going. Yes. <laughs> and God spoke to Moses and to Aaron, for Yitzavim and from Tzivui command. Yeah. So how do you? So if it's from Tzivui, who, what is the subject, and who, what is the object? Because you got a subject and an object built into that word. By Yitzavim. And God <laughs> commanded. And God commanded 
Them, Perfectly. the people, yeah. Good. God so God commanded them, because the, God is masculine in the Torah, so the Yud is a masculine. God commanded them. So we, we assume that it means that God commanded whom? The people. Oh, Shinaran, right? So the, the Vayetzavim here is holding the place of what is sometimes a Lemur, right? Look at the previous sentence. Avayetaber Moshe Lifnei Lemur. Moses spoke to God, saying, here we have, God spoke to Moses and Aaron, and instead of saying, saying, it says, and God commanded them, right? Which means we should assume that what comes next? A quote, mm-hmm. right? Because if it was an om- lemur, it would be the actual content of the speech, right? And I'm bringing this up to make the next translation part intentionally more difficult, okay? El B'nai Yisrael to the children of Israel. So how does that make sense, that sense, make sense syntactically? God spoke to Moses and Aaron and commanded them to the children of Israel. Could be regarding, okay? Uh, anyone who was in Shul this past Shabbat morning, our intern, Yael Aronoff, gave a really wonderful teaching. And at one point in the teaching, we were focusing on, believe it or not, the distinction between L and L. L, Aleph Lama, not L, the English letter L, right? Um, where in general, when you, L almost always means specifically to, whereas le can mean to or regarding or with respect to. So it's harder, even though I, I like the instinct, Barry, it's harder to render here by its avem el b'nei Yisrael as, and God commanded them regarding the children of Israel, because it's usually, if, if you're going to do a regarding, it's a le, not an l. Okay, keep going, keep translating. By, by, your, by your own definition, if the first few words is preceding a quote, then the other side of the quote cannot be two. It's got to be something else. That's why it's a hard verse. Right? That, that, and that, that's why I'm saying that even though the words themselves are not hard vocabulary words, it's actually a hard verse to make sense of. So God commanded them something to about the children of Israel. The, and to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. Remember back in elementary school where you had to like do surgery on a sentence to divide between the predicate and the subject? Diagramming and... sentences. Right. It's very hard to diagram the sentence. We kind of know what it means, but it's very hard to diagram it. Like, Moses and Aaron are being spoken to. They, they are seemingly being commanded, but they're being commanded that the El B'nai Israel and El Paro is parallel. So Whatever L means in the first phrase, it means in the second phrase, they're commanded regarding the, let's go with Barry's suggestion, regarding the children of Israel and regarding Pharaoh. But then what does it mean, that sounds like a command. It sounds like the actual content of what God wants them to command Pharaoh, bring out the people of Israel from Egypt, right? So we know what it means. What it means is God says, Moses and Aaron, time to get to work. Go, go tell Pharaoh, let's go. But why the sentence is constructed that way is a little bit interesting. I, I'm feel bad that, um, not feel bad, Le- I wish Larry were here to give us the um, R.A. Kaplan um, translation. I'll give you Ever Fox, and then we'll hear from Rick and from Steve. Um, God, uh, Ever Fox always renders yud heh vav heh as Y-H-W-H, so I'll just call it God. God spoke to Moshe and to Aaron and charged them, that's the Vayetz of Aim, charged them to the children of Israel and to Pharaoh king of Egypt. I don't even know. I'm not even sure exactly what he means by that, right? But some he he's he's sort of playing close to what Barry is saying. He God spoke to them the L as about with respect to those two categories of people. One of them is the children of Israel. One of them is Pharaoh, and then he puts a comma to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. If we wanted to colloquialize this, we might say that God said to Moses and Aaron. You need to somehow work on that stuff between the children of Israel and Pharaoh. And what's the content? Get Pharaoh to get them out of Egypt. But that's not what the words say. Barry and then Sue. Oh, no, I said, actually, I said Rick and Stevie first. Rick and Stevie. Hi. So um, my voice is gone, but I hope you can hear me okay. You're still okay. Yeah. Um, It's getting better. So when when I look at this verse and I see that, it's ending this little story and then we're going into something totally different, the genealogy. Um, It's weird that it's kind of a wrap up of what we were just talking about. 
um, I looked up to verse 11 again, and there we have Bodaber, El Paro, Melech Mitzrayim. It's the same kind of action. Go to Pharaoh and say this. And there it's Vishalach at Bnei Israel. So there's a verb separating Pharaoh and, and the children of Israel. And here they're, they're kind of mushed together under the Vayetzavim verb. Um, and then you have Lahotzi. But um, I just wanted to bring that up again, that we've seen, we've seen this kind of direction before. Go talk to Pharaoh and tell him to let the people go. Right, but Rick, uh, and, what you're bringing up complicates our verse because yeah, verse 11, Bodaber El Paro Melchitrayim, the El very clearly means two. Yeah. But it's very hard to render El B'nai Israel in our verse as two because God's not sending Moses and Aaron to the Israelites right now. He's sending, God is sending them to Pharaoh regarding the Israelites. So it's it's harder. But, well, but yeah. I'm just saying that the El Paro Melchitrayim is the same in both places. Yeah. With the same trope, so. El Paro Melchizedek, same trope, correct. Um, so it yeah. echoes in my head, that's all. Um, I just see, who is the MC on the Zoom screen? I just wanna make sure that we know who that person is. MC, can you just tell us who you are? I don't recognize that handle. If you could put us, tell us who you are in the chat or show your, give your full name or show your face. Uh, Stevie? Yeah, um, I agree a lot with, uh, was it uh, Everett Fox's translation you just read? Because mm -hmm. um, I, I was, I would render this as by its aim specifically is right. It's not Laymor, so it's not going to be a direct quote, and that it is to go to the Bnei Israel and to Pharaoh in order to, you know, affect the, you know, ex the the exodus of the Israelites, um, and that the Right, it's very clunky in English, but I think that the the, the 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 message is like there's there's a there's a list of instructions. We're not given the list in list form, but within those instructions are right going to this group and then going to this group, or and the instructions are to you know cause the you know the exodus to happen, yeah. um, and that that's. Right. Like it's just very compactly said. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right, Stevie. Uh, I put the, the Everett Fox up on the screen so everyone can look at it so you could ponder it rather than just hear it. Um, uh, Stevie, not that there's a right or wrong. Uh, so, no, I, I, yeah. He said in regard. Charge them to oh, there the is, Israel, which I understand yeah. is like, like if you charge someone to something and it's not financial, it's like almost putting them on the task of. Right, right. That's that's how I'm reading his English, but I could be wrong. I, this we we could do a we could do a Rashi. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think it means in regard to. I think it means like, like your, if there were step by step instructions, it would be, right. This is where it's a change from two verses ago. It's like it means first go to is Bnei Israel and then go to Pharaoh, and the whole thing is like with the you know in order to you know causatively. So are you saying, Stevie, that you think and or you think. Everett Fox thinks that the two here really means two and that God is commanding them, basically dispatching them to the children of Israel first and then dispatching them to Pharaoh in order to, as you use the word, effect the Exodus. I think so. I, at least if L means two, right? If, if L is more direct than live, then yeah. I think that's how you'd have to render it. Listen, it's a very consistent. And, and it's also right. Like, you know, a chap, what it was a, two chapters ago, there was, that was the instruction, right? Also. Yeah. It's a consistent read. It's not the image that normally comes to my mind when I read this verse. I don't see Moses and Aaron being sent back to the Israelites. I see them being sent to Pharaoh, but, but it might be, that might indeed be whatever Fox means when he says, charge them to the children of Israel, like go to the children of Israel and to Pharaoh, to go to Pharaoh and, and why you're doing all this to get them out of Egypt. Barry and then Sue? Um, I, I want to put this in the, the bigger context. Um, uh, Moshe has been charged with this previously. He's been charged to go to the uh, uh, B'nai Israel. He's been charged with go to uh, Pharaoh. And uh, he's failed for the reasons of the of ellipse. Uh, now there's a new start. 
Aaron's brought in. And, and so God is charging them both now. Let's start over again. Now, both of you, Aaron's in the picture now. Now, go to the Bene Israel and go to Pharaoh and, and commanding, bring the children of Israel out. Hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a new story starting now. Uh, Matt, thank you for letting us know that that's what MC stands for. Um, Joanna was here and now she's gone. She had her hand up. All right, we'll come back. Sue and then Barbara. Well, I'm kind of with Stevie and with Barry on that. Um, I think they're both too, and I think it 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 has to do with them. Moses has Moses and Aaron have to go convince the children of Israel that they have to get up and leave. We've talked a lot before about how you know change is hard, no matter what you're going to do, and why would they go follow? Why would they Why would they go do this? They have to prep both. But in addition, they have to prep both the both Pharaoh and and the children of Israel. But in addition, if we can read it both as L and that they have to go convince the children of Israel, that they're going to get up and leave and they better start preparing for that. It makes more sense what comes next. Mm. Now we're going to talk about the children of Israel mm. and who they are and who they're going to go to and who belongs to who belongs to who. And otherwise it's like, well, why are we talking about all of them? That's, um, a, that's a lovely answer. And what I like so much about it is that it, it's a it's a totally different read than the read that Rashi is going to give in a few moments as to why we have this genealogy. You, at some point in your comment, said they are both two, which means that the two of them are two, two. I'm sorry, I just had to, I just had to do that. You said at one point, they're both two, meaning that both of them mean T-O, which means what you suggested is that those two are two, two. Buffalo, buffalo, sandwich, sandwich. Okay, sometimes I can't help myself. You all know about the sandwich sandwich they tell you about that? that? About... Five years ago this week, when we were in, on sabbatical, Noah was studying, by weird coincidence, Noah was a student at Shalhevet, she was a junior in high school, and her English class that semester was British literature. And pre, pre when Zoom was normative, uh, Noah would Zoom into her classes at Shalhevet in real time. So her school day began at 4 p.m. in England. And because she was studying British literature, we had this opportunity to go take her to some of the places she was studying. So she, when she was studying Shakespeare, we went to uh, Stratford. And when she was studying uh, Jane Austen, we did the Jane Austen tour. Um, and she was reading the Canterbury Tales. So I took her to Canterbury. And on the way to Canterbury, we stopped at Sandwich, the town of Sandwich. In the center of the town of Sandwich, there's a sandwich shop <laughs> called the Sandwich Sandwich. We bought a sandwich. And we took a picture of us of that sandwich in between us. So it was a sandwich, 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 sandwich. Okay, Barbara. I, I think that the sentence, <laughs> I think the sentence could be read, and the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron, and he gave them a command to bring out the children of Israel out of the land of Israel. But then he he decided. He should let them let Moses and Aaron know who he was, who them were. So it's he gave them a command, comma, to make unto to, to the children of Israel and to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, comma. Mm -hmm. So that's just ident all that's doing is identifying them. Yeah. Because yeah. it's it's the simple. I don't I don't see the sentences being that hard. He wants he's now telling now giving the command. Get those people out of his out of Egypt, but his he, he's just identifying who he who Moses and Aaron have to talk to. Yeah, they have to talk to I, both. I think you're correct, Barbara. That the the general meaning of the verse is clear, right? Sometimes we have the opposite verse, opposite problem in Torah Hebrew. We know how the sentence is constructed, but we're not sure what it's trying to convey to us because the vocabulary is hard or something like that. This is the verse. We know by the end of verse 13 what we're supposed to be thinking as readers. We're just not exactly sure how every preposition works to get us there. Uh, no, Stevie, no, this seems like so simple. <laughs> well, uh, I will send Everett Fox to you for all of his questions. <laughs> just this sentence, <laughs> I can translate this one. <laughs> Stevie. Yeah, just to add that sometimes there's, you hear about, you know, generals or politicians or whatever and say like, I, you know, it'd be easier for me to, you know, stand up to this like uh, powerful person or, you know, to, you know, face an army than it is to, you know, deal with my children or than it is to deal with like, 
you know, something that's, you know, more uh, human. And um, like we like from the verse, we don't know, but like maybe the idea that like, oh, you're going to have to like stand up to Pharaoh is like really scary. And maybe the idea like, oh, you're going to have to like introduce yourself to the B'nai Israel is like really scary. Mm. But like saying that like both of these are requirements is like non-trivial. Great. Um Every once in a while, I invoke Sal, who used to be in this class, and like we used to ask him, "How would you, how would you film this scene? Right? Would you film it as, as motion? Aaron thinking that they had to physically go back to Bnei Israel, reading the L as two, or would you film it that they were just understanding that God is now recharging them on the task, of, 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 and that would be an interpretation. Um, okay." Uh, let's jump in the Rashi. The first Rashi is going to pick up on, on something that Barry was mentioning before, which is the significance of Aaron in the verse. Uh, Larry, uh, no, uh, um, Alan, <laughs> for, for a ninth of a second, I forgot your name. Uh, you're up. HaKadosh <laughs> Good. And give me, let me give you the, the Nikudot on Tsereif because it's Tsadi Reish Pei is one of those words where if it appears in Pa'al, it's a different verb than if it appears in PL. It's not just that it's like a different form of the verb. So Litsroth means to forge something like in a like an iron forge, but Litsareif means to add something, to join something, like Lehitsareif is to join. So Tsereif means to to add in or to join. Okay, so now translate. And uh, and and God and God said to Moses and to Aaron, because Moshe said that I am uh, of uncircumcised lips, so you will join. Not the you. God, will. the God will join. God will join him. Join Aaron to you, Moshe. To be Liloto, to be like your mouth, or to be able to speak for you, to be your your mouthpiece. Right. So Rashi is sensitive to the same thing that Barry was, which is all of a sudden Aaron's in the verse, and Rashi wants to know why is Aaron in the verse now. And so Rashi says, Moshe once again showed his vulnerability and his lack of confidence, or maybe even physical ability to do this task. So all of a sudden Aaron gets re-invoked. Say Rayflo, God added Aaron to the scene, to the command, Liotlo, in order to be low, four, here's your Lamed again, not, not two, this is a Lamed that means four, to be for Moshe as a mouth and as a Melitz. What does Melitz mean? Interpreter, right? Where do we see Melitz in the text of the, the, the Torah, not the text of Rashi? Joseph, Remember? Joseph. Very good, right? When the Torah says that, um, that uh, the brothers were visiting Joseph and they didn't know that Joseph understood because there was a Melitz Benotam. There was an interpreter between them to give the impression that Joseph wouldn't understand their Canaanite language because the Egyptians didn't know that Joseph necessarily knew that, right? Good. So Melitz is to, uh, is to interpret or to, or to communicate, all right? So that's um, Rashi's answer to the question about why Aaron is present. Uh, I see Renee's hand and I see Stevie's hand. I just have a question. In my book, it has a reference uh, to something called Lavush Ha'ola. And I don't know what, I was just it's curious a, what that is. It's one of the, I think, 17th or 18th century uh, super commentary in Rashi. So sometimes we refer to, but the, the, the most traditional super commentaries on Rashi are the Gur Aryeh by the Maharal of Prague, the, uh, the Mizrahi, who's earlier than that, and Lavush Ha'ola. Uh, I have on my shelf of like a volume of that where it's it's like it does to Rashi what a standard Mikroktolos does to the text, where it has a line of Torah, a line of Rashi, and then five commentaries on each line of Rashi, and that's one of them. I forgot I forgot exactly where Levush Ra was written. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Stevie. Yeah, just um, this verse is the final verse in the weekday Torah reading, and or the, in the first Leah. Um, and because of that, I feel like I've, I've always sort of made the same assumption that Rashi is, uh, seems to be making here that like, this is the concluding of the 
the back and forth that we just had. So therefore it's like, oh, Moses was complaining that he doesn't speak well and God just throws another character into the mix to solve that. Um, but I like looking at it sort of without that bias, I think maybe it is introducing what's going to come next, but it, but it's, but I've, yeah, I've always just sort of assumed that it is a conclusion to what comes before also. Yeah. And it's another interesting example of where our division of text is different than the classic uh, secular or Christian division of the text, because we have an end of an aliyah there. If you look in the text of the Torah, there's a Parsha Stuma there, right? So there's a closed, um, um, a closed break. So there's, you would actually see some space. But there. there's one before the verse also on both sides of the verse. Right, right. Correct. That's a, that's a good point. So there's, there's a Petucha before the verse. So the line is clear all the way to the end of the column, end of the, yeah, and end, end of the row, uh, and then there's another one after this. So this verse kind of stands almost on, on its own. But the Christian division of chapters has this going right into verse 14, which is the beginning of this genealogy, and the chapter doesn't end until the end of verse 30 with another line that also seems like um, um, well, it's interesting when we when we get there, you'll see there's a argument through the generations of whether or not verse 29 of our chapter, verse 28, verse 29, or verse 30 of our chapter is, is, is an ending. Um, but we, there are different ways of like put, you know, where, where you put a comma and where you put a, a period in a sentence and in a paragraph makes a, a big difference. Uh, Rick? Yeah, hi. I was just going to bring that up, Rabbi. I was looking at the Silverman commentary and it mentioned uh, verse 29 and 30. So I looked at it, or yeah. And um, it's the same, it's the same, it's like echoes of that same, of the same conversation. In, in 30, we have Aras Fatayim again, and they're not going to listen to me again. So spoiler alert, we're going to see it again in 29 and 30, the same, go talk to Pharaoh and do this. Well, but by the time we get there, it'll be so far in the future. It'll be like 2024. So we'll have forgotten we had the conversation. So my question is, why do they throw the, why did somebody throw the genealogy in, in between these two parts? I mean, yeah. Steve, you said that one ended the Aliyah and then uh, where we are 29 and 30, that that's the beginning of Shlishi. And, and there's an, there's an ending there. There's a, Rashi will have his own answer to that question, which we'll get to either in the next 11 minutes or next week. I didn't read that Before I forget, in case someone has to leave early, I'll send an email out as I always do. We'll have class next week as normal, and then there'll be three Wednesdays in a row where I'm out of town and will not be able to teach. Um, I'll discuss with Leonard which of any of those he will be doing, but if it's happening, it's only Zoom, because we're not meeting in person if I'm not here. So next week, which is the 8th, say that December 1st, Today's the 30th. So the 7th as normal. And then whether we're going to have class on the 14th, 21st, or 28th will come out in an email. Uh, Barry? So I'm going to do a, a deep dive here. Um, if Moshe is uh, RL, this is God imposed. Moshe doesn't know that. So the, the story is that M Moshe it, it, is not is not meant to be the spokesperson and not to be the intermediary of the B'nai Israel to God. He's only has one task and bring the people out. So Aaron is now brought in ultimately to become the high priest, the, the, the one who intercedes between the B'nai Israel and God and to do those things. And uh, so this, this is the beginning of that. And, and so uh, now bringing in the, the genealogy, this is, our own connection between the Bene Israel and God. Hmm. This begins his story. So let's hold that as a possibility. We have one more Rashi to get through before we even get to the genealogy. Let's see how long it takes. Um, uh, Alan, I'll, I'll take you off the hook because you've been on for a while. Uh, Carol, do you want to read the Vayetzabem el Bene Israel? Vayetzabem el Bene Israel. Sum alehem um, <laughs> Close. Let know. me first correct the Nikud on the first one. It's not sum like fast, but tsivam, commanded them. Tsivam okay. otam. Lehanhigam. Lehanhig otam. Um, 
Kelhani, Benachat Ulisvol Otam. Okay, we have to be one of those situations where once we translate Rashi, we'll have an answer. And then we're going to have to figure out what was Rashi's question, because Rashi's question is hard to discern here. Let's first figure out his answer. Okay, so, um, uh, well, this is the he commanded, he commanded them to them. I'm, <laughs> so there's a lot <laughs> of names there. <laughs> yeah, it is. The Alehem here is probably best rendered in English as um, regarding them or for them, which I believe is Rashi's way of telling you what he thinks that L means here. Remember we said that L is different than L? And Rashi saying, read this L, Aleph Lamed, less as a two, but more as if it were an Al. Like, you know, uh, the great pun of the Israeli national airline, El Al, like it sounds good. And it's, it's the, it's El Al means two up, right? El Aliyah. It's really, but it's also making use of biblical short words that are that are not quite interchangeable, but are in relationship with each other. So Rashi says, "Read this L as an Al, and Alehem means on them, upon them, regarding them." Okay. Okay. So command regarding them. That's sort of to lead to lead them. Lahin. Correct. To to lahanhi kotam is the he feel of noheg to to. Um, yeah, a manhig is a leader. Yeah, so to lead them in what way? Um, I don't know what a nachat is. What is nachas? Kami, calmly. Oh. Gentleness, right? Not in, in Yiddish Hebrew, nachas is pride, but nachat, like nachat ruach, is a tender gentleness, right? Oh, so lead them gently and uh, with savlanut, right? Be, to be patient with them. Right. To tolerate them, we've talked before how Lis, that lisbol in Hebrew brings up both sides of how the word tolerate is used in um, in English and suffer, right? Like normally we think of them as different words, but they're really the, to tolerate something is to suffer something that you wish you didn't have to tolerate. And Hebrew, it's the same root. Lisbolotan means endure them somehow, right? So that's his answer. We don't know what he's we don't know what he's troubled by in the verse, but Rashi says, "What does the phrase mean that God commanded?" them, you know, to or regarding children of Israel, it means God said to Moses and Aaron, in your manhigut of them, in your leadership of them, do it nicely. And if they complain, tolerate them. So now I ask you, Carol, anyone, what? Like, again, I know what Rashi's saying, but why, why is that interpretation of this verse? Or what was Rashi's problem on the verse such that this is a plausible answer? Rosemary, let's give her the microphone, then, then Alan. I'm just happy to see the gently word here, because since the beginning, it's just bugging me because we always uh, criticize Israel to be complaining all the time. And even at the beginning of this um, chapter, when we were reading, God even complains that I'm talking to them, they don't listen. And I, it brings me uh, an experience that I had, and I know many people from uh, those countries have. When I went to France the first time, I heard the word democracy and uh, everybody thought it was very easy, but it took me 15 years to learn what is the word democracy, how to apply it. So it's not that we give people freedom, they become free. And I think that's also the mistake that our government does. They go in a country, they say everybody should be democrat and they will become it takes really time i have a stories which is funny how i learned how to how to even speak because before we wanted to speak our heart was beating and our you know everything was very hard because mm. from childhood your parents hit you say shut up the government does the teacher does mm. so these people were living even if in miserable condition at this they had a house they were eating and they were badly treated, but that was their destiny. They accepted. And suddenly God comes and says, okay, you are going to go out. I heard you. I mean, who is God for them? Mm. We know who is he, but nice. they didn't know. And Moses said, let's go out. Where are you taking us? So why do we complain always uh, saying Israel was complaining? They need time to learn. So gently give Good. them time to learn. And your comments, Rosemary, 
are also sort of an answer to my question on the question, which is what's troubling Rashi about the verse? Rashi is saying, why is God going back to mention the Israelites when what's really happening next is Moses and Aaron going to Pharaoh and God says, and Rashi says that God says, you Moshe cannot stop critiquing these people. You even use them as a reference. Hey, they won't listen to me. How can Pharaoh listen to me? So the first thing I'm telling you is treat these people with more nachat. Right? So God, it's as if Rashi is saying, God said to Moses and Aaron, regarding the children of Israel, what did he say regarding them? They're your people and be patient with them. Right? And then we'll get to the content of getting them out of the land of Egypt. But first and foremost, you're not going to take them anywhere if you're not patient with them. Wonderful. Uh, Alan, and then Marshall, and then we're probably going to be out of time. Yeah. Uh, it was that same thought about go going back to what was taking place so that the children of Israel are already suffering additional hard work. They, if you're going to try and lead them out, you've got to make sure you're going to have patience and have Rachmanus on them to be able to accomplish that. Correct. Very nice. Marshall, potentially the last word. And then I guess, and then don't go anywhere because I want to show you all something. But go ahead, Marshall. Well, I think I think back to verse 9, which described the people as mikotze ruach meyavodah kasha. And here, in contrast, Moses who probably was very frustrated with the people, he has to be reminded, look what, where they are, and you have to be able to deal with them, not with such harshness either, as Pharaoh was dealing with them. Good. And you, Moses, think you're vulnerable, therefore you want more attention and nachat for me. How about you be a repository of nachat for the people that you're, I mean, asking you to leave? All right, everybody, Thank have you. a good day. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.